Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Friends, our reading this morning comes to us from the prophet Micah. A contemporary of the well-known prophet Isaiah, Micah was a prophet from the small town of Morsheth, located in the hilly region of Judah between Jerusalem and the Mediterranean Sea. The superscription of the book reveals the time of Micah's prophetic activity. With Amos, Hosea, and Isaiah, Micah formed a quartet of major characters who produced the golden age of Hebrew prophecy. Micah was called as a prophet during a turbulent era of Israel's history. Government officials were dishonest. Low ethical standards prevailed in almost every facet of daily life, and the poor were oppressed at the hands of the powerful. Micah was willing to cry out to his people in an effort to reorient their hearts to God as their only sure defense against the threat of destruction. 
Hear now the powerful words of Micah as they reach through the centuries and call out to us as they called to Israel so very long ago. A reading from Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8 from the NRSV translation. With what? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has told you, he has told you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. Let's sing this together, God of Justice. God of Justice, Savior to all, came to rescue the weak and the poor, chose to serve and not be served. Jesus, you have called us, freely we receive now, freely we will give, we must go, live to feed the hungry, stand beside the broken, we must go, stepping forward, keep us from just singing, Move us into action, we must go. About 2,800 years ago, a cranky farmer from the back roads countryside of southwest Judah sat down and began to think deeply about his country and about his people about the land that he loves and all the ideals and values and enduring principles that his people and nation have always stood for. And he begins to wonder what in the world has happened. And where did it all go so badly? How did it come to this? And why doesn't anyone seem to even notice, let alone seem to even care? In the city of Jerusalem, there is corruption and dishonesty and greed and deceit at every level of every institution, from the marketplace to the temple, from the halls of government to the chambers of every courtroom. It seems like nothing in the world as, is as it, as it should be and as, as it could be. 
Micah knows that politicians are fleecing the poor and judges are rendering verdicts for bribes and priests are skimming off the temple treasury and prophets are giving away blessings and promises in exchange for a few shekels and preachers like me are preaching that God is up in heaven and everything is right with the world down here. And Micah knows that everyone seems to be speaking such a religious game that if you didn't know any better, you might actually think that these are good and godly people. But Micah sees through all of it. He sees through the lies and the deceit and the untruth and the hypocrisy. He sees also through all that God talk that masks the deeper issues and problems of his society. And so he sits down and he writes an oracle to the leaders of Jerusalem. And he says, God is about to call you to account for your distortion of justice, for your neglect of the poor and the common good, and for your arrogance in thinking you're going to get away with this. And what makes Micah so unusual and so exceptional is that nobody else was saying this. Nobody else was seeing what Micah saw. Everyone else seemed to have just accepted that their world had become what it is and what it should be and what it will always be, and everyone seemed to just accept it, to accept the corruption and the bribes and the lies and said, this is just how the world works. And over time, they never questioned it. They simply got used to it, and it became normalized. Do you remember that great, prescient movie from the late 1990s called The Truman Show with Jim Carrey. The movie follows the life of this unsuspecting character named Truman Burbank whose every moment since the very moment of conception has been captured and broadcast on live TV to hundreds of millions of homes around the world. And Truman is completely unaware that he lives in a completely manufactured world. Everything in his life has been created specifically for this show about his life, only he doesn't know it. The sky, the ocean, the small town of Sea Haven, it's all one giant set in this expansive film studio. All the townspeople, his neighbors, even his wife and best friend, they're all cast members carefully staged to, to help script and create the story that is Truman Burbank's life. But the problem is, he's never been out into the real world, and so he has no idea that his world is fake, and that his every word, his every move is being broadcast to, to millions of people 24-7. And it turns out that Truman's life becomes the most popular TV show in the history of television. In fact, viewers are so hooked that they can't even go without a minute in the bathroom. So they put TVs in the bathroom to watch every moment of Truman's life. And this goes on 24-7, nonstop, uninterrupted for three decades. And what makes the movie so compelling and I think so prophetic is that palpable tension that builds in Truman's heart and mind over time when he begins to suspect that there's something about his world that isn't right, but he can't put his finger on it. 
Even in one scene when a stage light falls from the ceiling, from the sky, he still can't quite connect the dots. Why? Well, because it's the only truth that he's ever known, the only world he's ever known. And the lie is his only truth. And what keeps Truman from discovering the real truth is, I think, captured in this profound line by the creator of the Truman Show, whose name is Christoph. And I think he asks the question and answers the question, what blinds human beings to the truth? Christoph says, we accept the reality of the world with which we are presented. Wow. And one day the prophet Micah wakes up and he says, I can't and I will not accept the world as it is anymore. And so he calls God's wayward people to a legal trial. Think of a courtroom, and Micah says to them, you stand up and plead your case. And he brings these people into a courtroom, but it's not a typical courtroom as we might imagine. Because in this courtroom, God is the judge, Micah is the prosecutor, And he has impaneled this very impressive jury, the hills and the mountains, and as he says, the everlasting foundations of the earth. That will be the judge and jury. And Micah orders the people to plead their case, to account for all the wrongs that have turned their world into the kind of mess that it is. And the people are pretty smart. They know that they can't win this case. They don't have a chance. And so they ask... um, God, can we, uh, can we settle this case before it gets to trial? Uh, how do we make this whole thing just go away? What, what can we do to make things right? Or the question really is, what does the Lord require of us? And they go through this long list of impressive pre-trial possibilities to settle their case. Well, God, we, we've got a year-old calf. Will that do? How about a a thousand rams or 10,000 barrels of oil. We could even throw in our firstborn if, if that'll settle the case, God. Like most of Israel's pagan neighboring nations, Israel has their own system of sacrifices to appease Yahweh and to make things good. And Micah says that all this transactional business of sacrifices and offerings It is an exercise in missing the point. He says sacrifices and offerings they won't do because any religious act and any act of worship that is devoid of real love and compassion through our actions is empty and it's hypocritical. And so Micah says to the people, you know what the Lord requires of you, O mortals. And I love that he says, oh, mortals. Because what he's saying is, someday you're going to be as dead as fried chicken. (laughs) And this is serious business. And you need to get it right before the clock expires. And it's too late for you. You know what the Lord requires of you, oh, mortals. Do justice. Love kindness and walk humbly with God. Three simple commands. And whenever we sense that the world isn't right, whenever we feel like maybe our world like Micah's has gone off the rails, 
Whenever we think that maybe the world with which we are presented isn't the world that God had intended, it's because we have neglected these three essential pillars of the common good, justice and kindness and humility before God. And today I want to talk about the first of these as we continue our series on what does the Lord require of you. We're going to talk about justice today. And justice as a word is not a comfortable topic for a lot of people. I remember years ago before I came to this church, I was in San Diego as a pastor, and I remember hearing that there was a particular cable news commentator who said on TV multiple times that if your pastor mentions the phrase social justice, you should find another church. That Sunday, I I worked it in. (laughs) And then I waited for the emails. And what I said is, I love you, and I suggest that you don't get your religion from a cable news commentator. Because justice is this consistent and persistent biblical theme. God is profoundly interested in justice. In the Hebrew, the word for justice is mishpat. And how important is this concept of mishpat to God? The word appears more than 200 times in Hebrew scripture, mishpat. It means something like to treat people equitably. And it refers to this idea of the law should be accepted by all people and all members of a society and applied equitably to everyone. You might translate it as fair play. And mishpat is the most basic, it's the most basic institution of of human society and free society. To practice mishpat is to literally judge others on the merits of their case and to make a ruling regardless of who they are, regardless of nation, regardless of race or age or social status. And mishpat has two very important functions in Hebrew society and in ours. The first function of mishpat is that we might think of it as this idea of retributive justice. In other words, mishpat ensures that everyone faces the same penalty for committing the same crime. It's apples to apples kind of justice where there's no bias in the application of the law. Whether you're rich or poor or middle class, whether you are a CEO or a cowboy or a custodian, whether you are a president or a paper boy or a pauper, the law applies to you and to all people equitably. <clears throat> and look, this function of, of mishpat, it's not, it's not breaking news and it, it doesn't leave us feeling all gushy inside. Uh, retributive justice is as old as the code of Hammurabi. It is this eye for an eye kind of justice that says your eye is no more important and no more exempt than mine. Today we would say do the crime, pay the time. And retributive justice is not, it's not heartwarming stuff, but it is the most basic part of a free society. And if we were to function in a healthy way, we need to know what the laws are. And Micah says, Retributive justice applies to you. It applies to you who have been abusing the system to to get your own ways and to find advantage. And what he says to them is, 
God is going to recalibrate the scales of justice to ensure that if you have abused power or privilege, if you've avoided justice, you will get what's coming to you. But he also announces to those who suffer unduly and unjustly under the law that you will get the fairness that you finally deserve. And it's this, it's this function of mishpat that leaves us a little uncomfortable because it does ask us to ask some hard questions. And these sound like profoundly political questions, but they're really questions to get to the heart of, are we really practicing mishpat? Maybe a question would be, why is it that, that blacks represent only 13% of the American population, but they make up 35% of America's prison population. They represent 13% of American population, but they represent 41% of all American executions through our penalty system. Why are people of color six times more likely to be incarcerated than whites? These are hard questions. <clears throat> Why do 43% of the uh, American prison population, wh wh why is that represented by people with mental illness? Have we criminalized mental illness? Why is it that 45% of America's prison population suffer from addiction, substance abuse? Have we criminalized addiction and punished the wrong people? These are questions that make us really uncomfortable. But Micah says, I don't care what side of the partisan aisle you're on. All I care about is will you apply the law in nonpartisan, non-biased ways. But Mishpat has this other really important, equally vital function. Not just retributive justice, but restorative justice. Mishpat not only ensures that everybody is treated equitably under the law, but that everybody, everybody is equally protected under the law, regardless of race or social status or nation. And this function of Mishpat is absolutely non-negotiable for God. If you read Hebrew scriptures over and over again, what you see is that God has this huge heart, this abiding concern and a relentless passion for people who are often described as belonging to what's called the quartet of the vulnerable. The quartet of the vulnerable include four particular groups in every society, even ours today. The orphan, the widow, the immigrant, and the poor. And Mishpat ensures that the immigrant, for example, somebody without a country and without citizenship, has basic human rights. It ensures that the orphan who doesn't have a mother or father or a family to support them has human rights. That the widow who lo loses her sole source of, of strength and, 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 and income in her home has some system of rights to protect her. That the poor who don't have a job or a home or a social safety net of some kind, that they too have basic human rights. The mishpat is God's divinely legislated requirement to show us that we have to treat people with compassion, especially the most vulnerable. 
And it, it means that you, you couldn't take advantage of people, especially if they were helpless. You couldn't infringe on basic human rights. You couldn't disregard the legal rights of somebody, take a bribe and rule against them. You couldn't treat them as, as less than or other than or has-beens or burdens. And Mishpat, as restorative justice, compels us to ask some really hard questions once again. Questions like why in the most affluent country in the world are 13.5 million Americans food insecure? Why do women make on average 82 cents on every dollar that a man makes? Why do one in four children reach adulthood illiterate? Why is it that we have more than a half a million people who are living on the streets in America? Look, these are hard questions. For us, we have to ask, do these questions expose some disparities in our practice of mishpat? Micah doesn't care which side of the aisle you're on. He just wants to make sure that everybody uses the, the law to treat people equitably, and to protect them equally. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann defines justice this way. He says it's a matter of sorting out what belongs to whom and returning it to them. If that's hard to understand, think of it this way. Abraham Lincoln didn't give freedom to the enslaved. He simply returned to them that which never, ever should have been taken from them to begin with. The 19th Amendment, it didn't give women the right to vote as much as it gave them the freedom that had been denied them to exercise power and autonomy over their own lives. Mishpat is restorative justice, and its aim is always, always, always to restore the image of God in the other person, the imago Dei, the, the face of God. And as we look out at the world and we look at faces and we have to ask the question, has the image of God in this person been scarred or disfigured or blurred or erased? And sometimes in free society, restorative justice has to be legislated. But Micah's vision is that mishpat would flow freely from our hearts that we would possess the kind of grace and compassion to look into the face of another and expect to see the face of God. And if we don't, then to do what Micah says, do mishpat, work for their justice so that the face of God would be restored in them. And we shouldn't need laws or legislation to do that. Most of us here in this room, we do it voluntarily and often eagerly as an act of faith. We serve meals to the hungry downtown. We tutor underprivileged kids at East Elementary. We visit the sick and the aged in hospitals. We stock food pantries. We sit with somebody in their worst moments in life and we say, I see you. I see you. That's a mishpah. Restoring the image of God in the face of those whose image has been erased. Some of you have heard of the late journalist Malcolm Muggeridge. 
He was a journalist in the UK. He wrote about his interviews with this remarkable Albanian nun by the name of Mother Teresa and his experiences visiting her and the Sisters of Mercy. And Muggeridge was on assignment with the BBC in India doing a documentary on this amazing nun who had given her whole life to caring for the dying in the streets of Calcutta. And he said aesthetically it was as bad as it could ever be. The poverty was unlike anything he had ever seen. The sick and the dying, they were just laying in the streets and gutters and they were dying. And so Mother Teresa and her sisters every day would pray and they would go out into the streets and minister to the dying. Often they would carry the dying back to their convent where they would bathe them and feed them and give them a bed in which to die. Every day. And part of the rule of life there was when you bring somebody who's dying into their own bed, you put a sister, a nun next to them so that as they die, they wouldn't die without being in view of a loving face. What an image. What others would consider the most grim, most morbid business in the world, those sisters saw it as a gift and an act of faith, giving every single day to Jesus, following him, obeying him, and doing mishpat. Our takeaways for today, we must never, ever, ever accept the reality of the world with which we are presented. None of us are truly free until all of us are treated equitably. And every day, we are given opportunities to see and restore the image of God in the face of others. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.